Ian's in the Red Lobster glass. Welcome to the Beers and Miles podcast, where we talk about beers, miles, and whatever else we can happen to jump off topic with. We're here for another edition of Beers and Miles, the Elite Files. I'm your co-host, Chris, and joining me is my co-host, Larry. You didn't answer my question. I want to know. Are you using the Red Lobster glass? We are not using a Red Lobster glass this time. Um, uh, yeah, I'm drinking a, uh, a Four Fires uh, Blueberry Vanilla uh, Dicro. So it's a meter out that- in nice. Toledo. Yeah. Is that not the uh, the pancake one, or is that a different blueberry thing? No, it's just a it's just a mead mead kind of uh, thing. Um, but yeah, we we were really excited about this week. Uh, this week, our guest on the pod is Colin Jarvis. Uh, Colin graduated high school as one of the top high school runners in the country, running four twelve in the mile and eight fifty three in a two mile. The latter of which was number six in the U.S. in two thousand nine. In college, he ran for UC Berkeley, where he ran four oh two for the mile, seven fifty three in the three k, thirteen forty two in the five k, and eight forty seven in the steeple. He was a two thousand twelve Pac twelve champion in the steeple as well. We have a fantastic story coming for you, so I'm not going to bury the lead too much just yet. Welcome to the podcast, Colin. Thank you very much. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. And, uh, I, I made sure to to get a beer for myself as well in the spirit of, of your guys' podcast. I'm, uh, I'm going with is this is a Blood Orange IPA by 21st Amendment Brewery. I don't know if that's a popular brewery or not, but found this one and I like it. So, yeah. <laughs> are you up in NorCal now or where are you, where are you at right now? Sorry. Uh, are you up in NorCal now? Or? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I live in Oakland. Oh, nice. Yeah, so not too far away from Berkeley. I lived in Tennessee for a little bit, but moved back over here. And I've been here for two years now. So, yeah. Not too far from your roots out at, uh, when you were at Berkeley then. Yeah, still a lot of the same a lot of the same places that I run. And, um, you know, it's like Berkeley and Oakland, East Bay really is a big, like, dense city. But at the same time, you don't have to drive more than, like, 10 minutes and you're in, like, some of the best trails in the entire world so i fell in love with it when i came up here from southern california and you know i it was like you know if i could find a way to live up here then that was what i was going to do so this is this is me and my in the process of finding a way <laughs> i mean i wouldn't say that where you grew up wasn't too too bad of a running place <laughs> yeah san diego is uh the uh, the brewery thing it kind of reminds me of a tweet I think Chris you shared this where it's like somebody asks it's like you're a beer guy right have you heard of obscure brewery in the middle of nowhere and it's like oh I, I thought you were really into beer and it's like if you don't know because <laughs> like some breweries right like 21st century or 21st century yeah, yeah I've never I've never heard of it but I'm also not a heavy beer guy I'm literally just getting into it so yeah it's uh it's in Trader Joe's collection so oh, okay all right. <laughs> Whatever Trader Joe's carries. That's Trader Joe's is the fashion of beer enthusiasts. That is that is where you go if you are a beer enthusiast. <laughs> hey, I did t- I did that. I wanted to find an oatmeal stout, so I went to Trader Joe's when I first got into beer. So oatmeal stout. Hey, that was how, that was my entry beer. That was like what helped me acquire a taste because it's uh, so much smoother. And yeah, it was that was that was like a stepping stone. My gateway beer. Two I wonder about that. Oatmeal sucks. Stout sucks. So <laughs> both things are just completely. Out. I love oatmeal raisin cookies. So I was like, I'm gonna find an oatmeal stout. And I also was reading about like what would be a good recovery beer. And I said, no, oh, maybe stouts and oatmeal stout would be fine. I think I found it on like Beer Advocate or something like that. Maybe a lots of room for them. And then I'm like, yeah, this is gonna taste like oatmeal raisin cookies. Nope, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the alcohol adds an interesting component. I'm sure. <laughs> but, 
Like Chris, you've uh, you've liked beer, been a beer enthusiast, not just liked beer, like really liked beer for I think as long as I've known you, maybe even before you were legally allowed to like beer. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna cut that from the pod. I think I've really, really jumped into it. I, when we hung out, would have been me a year really, really into it. So that would have been about a year or two really, really into it. So by that point, I was like way too out of hand with it. Now I'm a little bit more calm. Yes, I go and drink different beers from around the country, but at that point I was just like slamming. I would bring like 750, 750 sours and just start chugging them at parties. Yeah, the sours. That was the first time I'd ever even heard of a sour when you when you showed me that beer. And I was like, what is this? This is awful. And you're like, no, it's the best. It's like this this bottle is so fancy and like, like all right, man. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I would, I'm not really a great judge of that kind of thing. <laughs> I do like that Chris said that he was calmed down on drinking, and he just had like 11 beers on Friday. So you know, the funny thing about that is the last message that I had with you was like, "Hey, man, uh, I left my bag in the middle of the woods. Can you? Did you find it? My beer bag?" <laughs> that would have been the last. Like, no, no, no more talk about that story. But that's the last time I talked to you. It was like. Hey, I left my beer bag in the middle of the woods. Did you find it? I'm not sure. <laughs> that would ring that's classic. That's absolutely right. I, 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 I looked at that too, actually, when we started talking about this podcast, and it, it made me laugh. It brought back some funny memories. <laughs> well, uh, but let's let's get a chat going because um, you grew up in a pretty fantastic area to grow up, and I, I think I, I do consider San Diego a place where. I always say if I could afford it, I'd probably live there for life because <laughs> it's just so yeah. nice and the weather's beautiful and then you have burritos everywhere. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> um, so tell us about how you got into running. So I remember when I when I ran um, in high school, um, I did one year, one like a couple weeks of uh, a couple weeks of club club running. And I found out that it's kind of a scene out there. Like, there's age group running a lot in San Diego. Were you oh, one yeah. of them? Yeah. Um, so yeah, you did your homework because San Diego is really like a, a like a bastion of club running. It's like I, I just feel like per capita, there's just so much more club track and field and cross country down there than really anywhere else that I've seen. But maybe I was just too close to it and a little biased. But um, yeah, I, I was uh, in Northern County, California, uh, San Diego. So up in like the Carlsbad, Vista, Oceanside, Tri-Cities area. And, you know, it's a beautiful place to run. We've got plenty of trails. Um, they've got the coastline, which is always great. But um, I got into running pretty young. Uh, my dad was a long-distance runner in his youth and then kind of picked it up again after he had me just as like a hobby. We'd go to like the 5Ks every single weekend. And this was back when 5Ks would be like, 300 to 500 people and it cost five dollars to enter in it and it was just like a really low-key thing that you'd go do with your family on a saturday morning and i just like totally fell in love with it i started like six and seven years old running those like little mile kid race like the fun runs and um just doing that because you know this was my dad was doing and um i kind of had a natural talent for it or it maybe not talent necessarily so much as just a a drive to want to try harder than my peers at that time. So a lot of times I place up near the front and, you know, it gives you a little bit of an ego boost. It's seven years old. So it's kind of feels right. And I loved the sport. So, um, 
I pushed real hard to get involved with one of the club track teams because I wanted to just be more, I guess, more serious, more organized about it. Because I just remember I was uh, feeling high and mighty about a couple of the those little kitty runs that I had done, thinking that I was hot stuff. And then I showed up to uh, this race in Carlsbad that um, it was like the Keebler something or other. I don't think they hold it anymore. But if anybody in San Diego has been in the running scene for a while, they'll know what I'm talking about. Um, but I, I ran the kid race there and the Southern California Roadrunners is the, the predominant or was the predominant track and cross country team there. That's why I ran and for I him. just got absolutely smoked by like all of their runners and I couldn't believe it. I was like just totally heartbroken and I was like, I need to be on that team. Like I, that, that's not okay. And my dad was like, oh, well, we'll see. We'll see if you really want to do it. And I just, like, wouldn't drop it. And eventually he kind of caved. And it's like, all right, we'll, we'll do it. And um, got me signed up for that team. But it was funny because the, the teammates that I ended up joining were um, Parker Stinson was on that team. Um, Darren and Stephen Fahey were both on that team. Um, trying to think if there's anybody else. Emma? Um, Emma was on that team for the women's side, wasn't it? Wasn't she? Who's that? Emma Abramson. Oh yeah, Emma Abramson. Um, and man, there's there's just so many of them. But yeah, that that she because Emma's probably four or five years younger than me, mm-hmm. younger than me, maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure if we were actually in high school at the same time. But um, yeah, that that club team just kind of was like a launching point for so many like long and like illustrious track and cross country careers. So many D one scholarships and stuff. Chris Brewer, another guy who comes to mind, another working guy. Um, but yeah, it, it was, uh, I didn't really realize it in them in the time, but I was with like some of the most competitive and talented athletes. And that was like very much a contributor to a lot of the success that I, I saw throughout high school and, and college. Yeah, your guys' side was always the better one because I ran for SoCal Roadrunners my senior high school. That was the club that I actually did because we had a walnut section there. And so uh, they were like, I remember right after CIF prelims ended and my team didn't make it to the next round for Southern section, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do, I'm going to go run some outside again for a club. And then we get to the regional meet in San Diego, uh, Escondido, that Escondido course. And they're like, yeah, uh, you if you guys qualify, you qualify. But just letting you know that uh, uh, we might have some guys that are going to sub you out. Maybe Lane Worley or maybe uh, I think it would have been Lane. And it was like Daniel Herrera. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to compete with those guys. If you get subbed out, I get subbed out. But thankfully, they went to – at that point, they had, um, I think, Foot Locker. And they had, like, other things. So I'm like, I got to go to Reno and not have to, like, get my spot taken. <laughs> so it wasn't too bad. But those San Diego yeah. guys were always like, you hear the names because I was like, oh, I just heard about this club and just was running with it. And then I just hear the names. I'm like, whoa, this was actually, there's so many fast people from Southern California that are from this area. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like looking back on it, it's wild to me, like how how densely populated that that area is. I mean, San Diego is a big place, mm-hmm. so I've made, we don't want to like overhype it more than it it is. But there was definitely like a, I think a culture that was forming there that was more like distance running focused. Um, that's kind of ahead of the curve. Cause I, I, when I think back to like high school running, there was just this like 
lull in like when you look at the times that were coming through in like the late nineties and early two thousands, like there was an occasional fast guy and like, don't get me wrong the top end every now and then you get somebody like AJ Acosta or whatever mm-hmm. that shows up and just like crushes the, the high school scene. But it, it kind of seemed like right at the tail end of my high school, like 2009 and on forward, the number of guys that break nine every single year in high school. And then the sub fours that have been rolling in pretty consistently over the last like decade, it's just like kind of exploded across the country. And I felt like San Diego just had, like was like one step ahead of the curve in terms of like the timing of that kind of newer, the, the resurgence of like competitive youth running. I got into running in like Dyson and all that stuff about 08. So I followed a lot of that. So Larry, just to give you a sense, I think it really kicked off about 08, 09, where the chase for the sub four really, really started happening. So you were part of that first group that happened. There was two races. I remember that year, there was the Midwest distance carnival, and then there was the Portland Track Festival. So I actually looked up results because I remember I didn't oh, even man. know you. I didn't know you at the time. <laughs> didn't know you at the time, but I knew that it was Mac Flea and it was you that were in there in that race for the trying to break four for the mile at the end of the year. Because you yeah. took second at the in the two mile that year at the right, right at the yeah. two. And so it was like I remember like a lot of us on Dice Dad were trying to see. He's like, who's going to break four this year? And it was just like, there was two meets going on. And it's like, holy crap. Like the, like it was a change. Cause like for, there was a big lull. Like you, like you were right about that. But like right at the end of like the two thousands, it was like, okay, people are trying to chase. Like there's meets being set up. They're trying to chase some forward. Like it kind of kicked off this whole craziness of what like the high school scene is now. Yeah. I mean, and I'd like to say that I was one of those guys that was in contention for, that four minute mile mark but i i most certainly was not um, <laughs> I, I went for it i think i was kind of more of a pawn in that race than anything which you know it's fine i'm i'm, I'm happy to have been part of it but i just remember i think that was where my pr came from it was like 412 flat in the the full mile but my last lap was like probably 68 or 69 seconds just like brutally bad last lap just trying to go out with those guys that were running four minute pace and um, in that same race, like Robbie Andrews was in that one. Trevor Dunbar, Fleet was Fleet was the favorite, and I think Robbie actually beat him. But Elijah Greer too. Um, so it was like pretty crazy how many of those guys were were all there, and they uh, ended up having like super good collegiate careers, and some even kind of beyond that. But yeah, um, it's uh, it's kind of funny. I haven't thought about those races in a long time. But <clears throat> one thing that kind of sticks out to that one in particular. Um, that relates to the San Diego conversation is one, like Mac Fleet and I, two of nine guys or whatever on that race were both from San Diego. And then separately, I don't know how familiar you are. Do you know about the Hamul Toads? I was actually going to mention that earlier because I remember him yeah. always racing in that jersey. Like, Yeah. Uh, so both Mac Fleet and I had a, have a Hamul Toad connection. So going all the way back to like those, those guys, they put together that like incredible – um, national championship club team out of San Diego, um, coached by Bob Larson. And the Mac Fleet's dad was on that team. And my high school coach, Tom Lux, was on that team. And I just, I read that book not too long ago that just recently came out. Um, gosh, I'm blanking on the name of the book. How, how terrible is that? What, what, do you know the name of it? No, no, I do not. Um, hold on. I've got, I'm sitting in front of my computer here. Let me get it. 
He's running to the edge. Yeah, Running to the Edge is the name of the, the book, and I highly recommend it to anybody who's a runner because it's just a phenomenal story. It talks about the career of Bob Larson, who is like one of the founders of competitive distance running for the United States and like the, I guess, the modern era and had a, like a big part to play in the development of like the threshold, the idea of running threshold miles. Um, but he put together the Home World Toads. And when I was coming up through high school, kind of learning about like the history and the lore of, of the sport, um, my coach was was Tom Lux and ran on that team. He was on Prefontaine's Oregon team. So I mean, I like I look back on on some of those those coincidences, and it's it's so funny to me that I'm kind of just like surrounded by all of those those guys that are that are so great. So it, it's uh, I had a lot of a lot of things that kind of serendipitously worked out for me that kind of helped me along, I think. Yeah, and yeah, it was a pretty fantastic high school career to follow, I'll say from uh, somebody that followed Dice at Cal for all those years, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I miss those days, just winning, winning races and having no expectations. Those, those are the good days. <laughs> so you go from being one of the top runners in the nation to – Joined the NCAA, and you're basically starting off. I mean, you're not starting off from the bottom, but you're starting off in a very different atmosphere now. Um, one, uh, why Cal? And also, let's talk about your beginning of your, your college journey. Yeah, um, that's a good way of breaking it up, too. Kind of, there's this, there's a very distinct break in the, the college, my college career. But the first half, um, when, I, when I left college, it was kind of, or sorry, when I left high school, what I was looking for in a university, um, I mean, running was primarily my focus. I would, I would be lying if I said that that wasn't number one on my list. Um, Oregon was my number one choice for a long time. And that's, you know, for all the reasons, like my coach went, my high school coach was an Oregon athlete in the time of Prefontaine. I was a huge pre fan from the age of like seven years old and just the, the whole history of it. I really, that, that attracted me. And like when I went on a recruiting trip up there, they, they know what they're doing when they're, when they're recruiting kids. Cause I was, I was sold. I was like, all right, where do I sign? Um, but just that year was, was kind of weird because my junior year I had been, I had, uh, sorry, my senior year, actually, um, I made some irresponsible decisions in, in my senior year of high school and, uh, got into longboard skateboarding, like down the yeah. And just absolutely annihilated my wrist and elbow and shoulder. I just I dislocated my shoulder and elbow and broke both the the bones in my wrist, compound fractures, surgeries, the the whole nine yards. Oh um, so that pretty much ended my cross country career um, in high school. And so I didn't Damn. I didn't even I ran the state meet, but I ran it in like a huge supportive cast, and it was like you know I, I in the first half of the season I was probably pegged to be top three and. I don't think I was even top 50 when I, when I finished the race, if that, um, I, I couldn't even tell you. Um, so I, I wasn't very highly recruited because I had not really posted anything at the right time. So it was, I, I was holding back long, long enough to where most of the scholarships kind of dried up at Oregon and it was just too expensive for me to justify going to school there. Um, it, you know, I, I just felt like there was one one element that was missing that if I was going to justify spending out of state tuition, 
that I wanted it to be at a school that was going to like academically challenge me as much as I, I felt like I needed it to. Um, and so because of that, it kind of reopened the doors for me to look at other places. And I considered Stanford and, and Cal. And um, I mean, I, I just didn't click at Stanford. Um, the, the environment over there just seemed like a little bit too slow a pace of life outside of like the school. And um, when I went to Berkeley, it just was like this crazy madhouse that kind of like, I, I don't know, I just, the chaos of it attracted me. I mean, it is Berkeley. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it's got a, it's got a distinct reputation and it was a lot of fun. And, you know, when I, when I came in to the program, I knew that I wasn't going to be the top guy. They had three or four sub four minute milers there. They were going to be there for at least two or three years. So I was, I was content to, as long as I had a couple people to chase and kind of push me along, um, I, I thought it was a, a good fit and it, it turned out to ultimately be like, I think the perfect fit for me. Um, I, I think maybe I would have run a little faster if I had gone to Oregon. It's easy to say that of course, but, um, at the end of the day, I have, have zero regrets about picking Cal. It was a, it's just an awesome all around experience for me. Um, but yeah, when I, when I actually got to school, I, uh, I had a, a pretty mediocre freshman year, honestly. Um, I just had a struggle um, adjusting to like the college life and the academic rigor of uh, Berkeley. Um, I don't think I was prepared for it because I'd kind of been, I had, uh, had good grades in high school and, you know, it was school had been fairly easy for me. And then I get dropped into an environment where I'm no longer top dog. And in fact, I'm <laughs> probably a little closer to the bottom. And so I just, you know, I had to kind of, step up my game in other areas of life so that I could balance it with running. But, um, by the time my second year rolled around, I was kind of hitting my stride. And, um, that, that second year, um, I, I think I redshirted, what did I redshirt? I redshirted indoors for my freshman year. Um, but then the, so this, my second year and my first indoor season was kind of, uh, I guess my, my coming out party. And I, I broke eight in the three minute or in the, the three K and beat a few guys that had been, they were really good. So I, that was kind of my, my first moment where I was like, okay, I can, I can compete at this level as well. What, uh, what was the decision there to redshirt, um, for the indoors for your freshman year? Was it just the, you know, trying to get into the swing of things and also the speed that you talked about, or was there, was there something else that, uh, that led to that decision? Well, I mean, we, I just spoke with the coach and I knew that I wanted to do the five-year plan. So we wanted to spread out the red shirts. Um, yeah. and indoors was, um, just kind of like to do a full season that for a freshman year and have three back to back to back seasons was just a lot. So we wanted to take a break cross country. They desperately needed me to compete as a freshman. Cause we were just, we, that year was crazy because we actually, we were terrible. Like we got last at pac 12, I think I'm pretty Yeah, we were last. And in, I mean, pac 12, super competitive. So I guess it's, we were, we were still solid, but like looking at who was actually on the team at that point, they was redshirting. We had um, a guy named Yosef Gabre, who was like a 28 low 10 K guy, Mark Batuzak, who was like a 338 1500 guy, Michael Coe, 356 miler, 748 3 K guy, James Brewer, who was a, a British transfer student who hadn't competed us for, competed for us yet, but he was a 353 miler. And so uh, all these guys are there at Cal training but our cross country team is out there and it's like five freshmen and then two juniors. And we were just like, 
getting <laughs> smashed by the, everybody else. So that was a that was a big learning experience for it's us. Like you have just the legends of like the Cal program. They're just training, and then you have a bunch of new <laughs> yeah, guys. We're like, watching. We're like we're the B team. Like they're like we're. Cal <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my cousin actually went to. I think he went to Loyola. Like, and he was like, "Yeah, I knew this guy named Matuzak," and I'm like, "Who?" And then I was like, "Oh, what? This guy is like, yeah, a bad." That guy with. He he uh, beat Galen Rupp in high school pretty frequently. He was a uh, he was something else. That's nuts. Well, yeah. I mean, at this point, it's like so that would have been around. So around the time, so you broke eight. You went seven fifty three at that point, right? Was it that year? It was actually yeah. So that was the following year. Um, that so I, I took another step forward that that following year, and um, that was also the year that I. Um, I won pack 12s in the, the steeplechase. I, the steeple was just kind of like, you know, it's funny. I didn't even train for it really. Like we didn't practice hurdles all that much. And it was just kind of something I'd, I'd played a lot of competitive soccer up until, up until I graduated high school. Um, so I was, I had this other aspect of athleticism and the hurdling just kind of came naturally. And it was kind of a last minute decision to say like, Hey, you want to, do you want to try this event? And I was like, yeah, this looks awesome. Um, because the 3K seemed to be like a perfect middle ground. I wasn't quite strong enough to throw down in the 5K with the top guys, and I wasn't quite fast enough to to kick with the milers. But that 3K distance was kind of a sweet spot. And so the steeple was like kind of a natural progression. And um, I only ran, I think, two or three that up until that point and one, one pack 12s. And I was like, okay, well, I think, think I found my niche. Um, had some struggles at the regional meet. I took a dive in the, the water pit and that's what you get for not being experienced with the event when you go to a regional meet. So I didn't make the national event, which was a huge disappointment for me. But, um, that year, so that would have been my third year. Uh, I, I went to Europe after, after the season ended and ran over there. Um, I went with, uh, Michael Coe, who was just, who had just graduated from Cal the, that, that year. Um, and David Torrance, um, who unfortunately has, has passed, um, this a, a little while ago that that happened. So, um, but we, we went over there and kind of, I was following their lead, just trying to get into some of those really fast European races and just having fun, like spending a month. You get in trouble with David, David Torrance. That sounds like a fun time in itself. <laughs> oh, yeah. David was, David's awesome, man. I, I miss that guy so much. Uh, he was, he was such a great mentor and just like one of the most genuinely excitable, positive people you'll ever meet. And like that downhill I, mile I is a legend. Talk really like, like positively of somebody who's like has passed, but I would have said that if you talked to me back then, I would have been the same answer. Like that guy was, was honestly like he, he just like, you know, you meet somebody and they've kind of got this like presence or this, this aura that kind of sticks with you. Like David was like that for me, and he, I, I met him through the runners' workshop camps where where you and I met, Chris. Yeah. Um, that was back when I was a I was one of his campers as, as when he was a counselor and he was a Cal student, and that was the first time Cal kind of came on the radar. So he was like like kind of a hero for me from the the start. And then when I got to Cal, he was like one of the the people who kind of talk to me frequently and he'd show up to practices and I'd kick his butt in tempo runs and then he'd whoop me up on the track. So it was, uh, yeah, Nate, David and I, um, we were, we were pretty good friends, especially after that trip. So, um, yeah, his, uh, there's two things there. There's, uh, 
he's a legend for that downhill mile. So, so Larry, I don't know. He, uh, he wasn't really recruited as a pro at all. Uh, and then he just worked his ass off and goes out and just runs this downhill. Mile. No, it wasn't even a downhill mile, just a road mile and breaks four in the road mile. No, it was, it was road. It was definitely downhill. <laughs> he ran like 343 or something. Yeah. God. So, and then, and then you have like, uh, and it's, I, I watched the video like over the last year because after that, I was like, and you, you know, it's, you know, you, you're probably, you're, you're held in high regard. When let's run holds you in the high, the let's run forums hold you in high regard. <laughs> it's like yeah. everybody there is like, yeah, yeah. It's like everybody's cheering him on on that thread, and then just like even like he's one of those guys where like there's not bad things to say on and on a forum like the let's run. It's insane. Yeah, I mean he was the people's champ, man. Like he was <laughs> he was that story that like everyone related to because he wasn't like. I mean, he had talent for sure. Like it was, it was in there, but it, it wasn't like an easy road for for David at any long any point along that that whole thing. You know, he had to he had to fight hard to get to where he was. And when he was like with with all that, I don't think there was ever a thread where somebody asked David a question or something where he didn't answer, no matter what. Like he was all about it. So yeah, I mean. It was it's it uh, comes as no surprise because I was never real big on like the let's run threads. I've, I've yeah. honestly only been on the site a couple times. It's just too crazy for me. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Here, here's a question that uh, I want to throw in there because Chris has mentioned Steeplechase a couple of times, and honestly, I've been too afraid to ask because like I've just been kind of going along with it, being like, yeah, Steeplechase. I know what that is, but like for somebody who is an amateur, right? Like, what what is Steeplechase? What makes it such a special event? Because like I know that you mentioned hurdling and stuff, but like so it's like running and hurdling and there's water pits. It just kind of sounds like a death trap to me. Like, what makes it exciting? Like, what's what's interesting about steeplechase? Yeah, or I guess what is it? The death trap aspect is definitely the excitement appeal. No, but um, so there's it's a three three kilometer race, um, and it's uh, every lap has has five barriers, and we call them barriers rather than hurdles necessarily because they're made of concrete and they don't move if you hit them. Okay. So if you hit one of those bird those barriers, you're going down. The hurdle's staying where it is. Um, and then one of those, those five, each lap has a, uh, 10 foot long water pit with a declined water. Like, so it, as you get, and if you jump further over the water pit, it's a shallower part of the pit. Oh. Um, so if you fall early and you're going in some deeper water, like yeah. I think it's three feet, three and a half feet deep at the <laughs> deepest point and kind of gradient from that point. Sure. So if you watch it at like the, the highest levels, most of the guys will, maybe only get uh, their heel, like one heel on one foot in the water, like a little bit of a splash. They kind of jump over most of it. Um, but as you kind of go down, it's a, this is a great YouTube rabbit hole to go down because they're <laughs> excellent, excellent steeple fails. Um, but I mean, it, I think to me, like sometimes the steeple gets a little bit of a bad rap because like it's, it's where people who are like, Oh, you can't run the 5k. So you had to run the steeple chase because you, you weren't, you couldn't hack it at these other events, but right. I, I would challenge anybody who's, who's run fast five K's and be like, all right, well, let's see how you do when you have to jump over these, you know, 36 inch barriers five times per lap and like handle all these other things. Cause it's just a different kind of athleticism that I think distance running typically doesn't really involve a whole lot of. Yeah. Um, and that, that kind of like diversity was just really attractive to me. I just like, you know, for the same reason I liked Berkeley, I liked the steeple. There's just some chaos there, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's this element that, 
um, it, it comes into play that's just kind of unpredictable. I've had that happen for me. It was like, because I ran steeple when my coach got fired because my coach wouldn't let me do it because I was injury prone. Um, so when he, when he got let go, I was like, all right, I'm doing the steeple this year. <laughs> and they threw me in the steeple and I took it like a fish to water for uh, at least my, how, how I could run. And they threw in the, uh, the regional champ in cross country at me. And, uh, it's the only, like, it's the only time I've ever beat him. And it's, it's the great equalizer. He, I think he got hurt during that race. Cause it's yeah, like, there's so much that can go wrong. It takes a different type of athlete, right? Because, like, I think that it's just there's a that you need a more diverse skill set than than you would typically need to be a successful like middle and long distance runner. Um, there's there's that element of coordination that just doesn't isn't quite the same. Um, and I mean, you know, there's of course if you've got somebody who's really coordinated and has that athleticism, but also has all those other things, then you're looking at Evan Jager, but. Um, you know, it is an equalizer for those of us who weren't blessed with sub 50 second, 400 meter speed. Um, we can still run a middle distance event and, and be able to, to find some, find some other ways to creatively, um, be more competitive. You're telling me you don't like finishing off a 1500 and like 50 low <laughs> the end of a conference. No, there, was a, there was a very short window of time in my career <laughs> where that was possible. And it was fantastic. I'm not going to lie. It was great. It felt really good. It looked good. It was great. But that it was a fleeting moment of all the stars aligning and it's long gone. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, no, the, the way that Chris had described steeplechase, it was just something that uh, I always thought like fight club, but for running. And like he always said, like, because it sounds like just like it's hosted by like one school, you know what I mean? Like you just kind of like switch between like who hosts it. Because I, I, I didn't do competitive running in college or in high school or ever for that matter. In fact, I'm just getting into it. So it's just something that like, you know, I, I just like to hear what the experience was like. And you know what, Chris, I've changed my mind. I no longer want a Boston qualify. Let's do a steeple. That's that's the goal from now on. No, no, don't get that look on your face. <laughs> I, just, I say, why not both? There we oh, go. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I almost tried to do a steeple and like ride. I was going to talk to Zach about it and say, hey, can I? Can I do steeple a steeple race before Boston just to just for shits and gigs? Because I really want to go nine like sub nine ten. I still really want to do that. So, but I don't think he'll let me do that. Hey man, yeah, lace up the shoes, fill up that pit. You got it. <laughs> just make your own pit outside. <laughs> that sounds like a, that sounds like a torn hamstring and a, who knows that uh, it's an injured ACL. I would just I I feel like. I'd have all the confidence in the world and I'd get to lap three and I'd just like smash into a barrier or something and like not be able to walk for two months. I'd say I don't, I don't <laughs> miss that last last K where everything just gets 10 feet higher. I don't miss that. <laughs> it does, it's funny. You're coming around. When I, when I, when I won pack 12, I, I hit the last hurdle. I, I almost fell. I almost lost it. It was so close to happening. And I remember thinking like, as I'm coming up to that last hurdle, I'm like, just make it over. You've got this race. It's over. All you have to do is get over this hurdle. Get over the hurdle. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, holy shit. It just looks so <laughs> high. Like, like, how is this possible? And I, I jump over it, and my back leg just, like, totally smashes. Like, the foot hits the, hits the barrier. 
and I catch myself, kind of do one of those like frantic arm like twirls to keep my balance and manage to keep my feet. And I even hear the crowd that little gasp, like, <gasps> like no, no. <laughs> and then, but yeah, like uh, I, I, uh, I still get chills of like thinking. I, I still remember vividly like going over a barrier and your foot slides over the top, and it's just like, <sighs> yep, that's a reminder. Like, Ooh, you are you're getting tired, bud. <laughs> Ooh, you're mortal. It's <laughs> an experience I've never had. I feel like I need to have this experience at least once. It's terrifying. Impromptu steeple, buddy. No, no. There's there's some meets at Oxy that they do where they have some people from the community colleges that, that do the steeple, and then they're running like 16, 17 minutes in the steeple, and then you see them walk up, climb over, and then jump in the pit, and they're just like... <laughs> That doesn't look fun at all. It looks like more like you're doing like a uh, like one of those uh, like obstacle course races at this yeah, point. Yeah, like your dad. <laughs> so at this point, I mean, you, you you're having a, a fantastic career. Um, you've won the pack. You won the back twelve meet. You won the big meet. That's a big deal. Uh, so what? There's there's a change. There's something starts going on. Um, yeah. Um, so I guess after that season, my, like, after I got back from Europe, I redshirted that cross country season and I like, you know, I took a couple weeks off completely after, after coming back from Europe, um, went up to our, our training camp with the Cal cross country team and I was redshirting, but pretty much everyone else was coming back. It was, it was a solid team and I was still there to kind of help make sure everyone was getting their training in and I was kind of dipping my toes back into getting started. Um, I actually, during that period of time, um, because I, I was on such a different schedule than everybody else, um, since I had just come off of uh, cross-country, indoor, outdoor, and then summer of racing, I was just doing a really extended buildup and um, kind of was on a separate training plan. And during that period of time, um, Belota Asmaron, is, uh, he was a 2004 Olympian for Eritrea, but he was a, a cow alumni as well and he was a volunteer assistant coach um he was my my training partner during that time and he was kind of pushing me along and getting me ready because the idea was i was going to come back for um indoor and outdoor that that fourth year and then i'd have one more year after that um so i'm, I'm getting ready for that indoor season and it was honestly the the fittest i had ever been in my entire life like it was unbelievable how how fit I was, I was at that point, um, getting, going into that, that indoor season, I did a couple, a couple time trials and workouts in January, um, just getting ready. Cause I was gearing up to run the three K and five K and I, I ran a, a 30, 200 meter time trial in like eight twenty eight, and ran, uh, like three by mile workouts in like four thirteen four fourteen average with three minutes, four minutes recovery just doing stuff that I was thinking like, Oh my God, I might actually be in contention to win a race at, at the national level. Like it's my time is it's coming. And so I was running hundred mile weeks and, and kind of doing everything right. Um, but I, you know, that indoor season started and the first race, uh, was actually a really great learning experience for me because it was a, it was a, a bit husky at, at UW and, um, I, who was in that race? There was like, uh, um, 
like Paul Chalimo was in that race. Um, what's his name? The, the steepler, um, not Evan, the, the Don, Cabral. Don Cabral, um, Don Cabral was in that race. Um, Hassan Mead was in that race, a few other people. And so I was kind of rubbing shoulders first race into the, into the year with these guys. And unfortunately they were all like early season, not really worried about time or anything. And I was like the main collegiate in that race. And, um, we went out the first, first mile, just like so slow for, for them. And I think we were like four thirty six or something like that. And so it was, it was slow enough that I was not going to get a, a qualifying time, but I came back in the second mile in four Oh three and got like second or third or something like that. Um, almost my PR in the mile. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was close. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, yes. It's like all of that, like everything that I was doing is real. And I just have, to have some very solid proof. Like, Don Cabral won that particular race and was a step ahead of me. It was, it came down to the last like 30 meters of the race. Um, so it was, you know, that was really encouraging. Um, but from that point on, I just started like really struggling. Um, especially when I was running like five Ks, I, I still ran under 14 minutes every time I ran a five K in that indoor season, which, you know, it's, it's, that's a, it's a respectable time to run indoors. And, um, but for where, I, when I'd run 1342, the year prior and just with all the stuff that I've been doing, I just couldn't understand. I was like, why is that happening? I just felt awful. Like I, it was an absolute dogfight to run a time that seemed like should have been kind of in my past. Um, and I was, I got my blood tested and it was showing up as like moderately anemic. And I was like, why is that? I don't understand why that's happening. Um, but you know, I, I kind of battled through that season. It was, it was okay. I, I think I, I ran, uh, 402 in the mile indoors, 1350 something in the 5k, um, just under eight minutes in that, that 3k, but you know, it didn't, I didn't make the national meet. I didn't light me any crazy fires. Like I thought I was going to based on what my buildup had, had kind of indicated. And, uh, you know, I, I went into that outdoor season and it just slowly, it felt like it, each time I raced, I was just a little bit worse off than the time before. And it just felt like this, this general fatigue and it kind of also was getting to me, like it was making me really anxious. Cause I, you know, I had these expectations of where I had been and what I thought I could do. And uh, I even had a lot of evidence I felt like that should have done that. So I, I just couldn't understand what was happening. Um, and I, I finished that season uh, again, failing to kind of meet any of the goals that I had set out for myself and, and really underperforming where I had been the year before by a lot. I, I didn't win pack 12s. I think I got second, but, um, I, I felt like I was well positioned to, to win that race given where I had been and my experience with the steeplechase being so slim the year before. Um, but I, uh, after that, that season, I was just so upset that I, I pretty much just went straight to, I, I took all of my, the small amount of savings that I had during college and was like, I'm moving to Flagstaff all summer and I'm running with Olympians and I'm going to make this happen. I have one year left. It's my fifth year and I'm going to do anything I have to, to be the absolute best. Like it's, it's unacceptable that I had the year that I did and I, that's what I did. So I went up to Flagstaff for, I think it was like maybe five weeks and then, um, directly from Flagstaff to Tahoe after that for another four weeks. So I, I spent like 10 weeks in altitude, I think that summer, um, trying to prepare, but while I was in Flagstaff, I started um, 
like having to go to the bathroom a lot more frequently than I, than I had ever had to do before. And, you know, I, I, I you're at an altitude, you never know what your body's going to do. So I just kind of wrote it off. But, um, towards the end of that trip, I actually started seeing blood when I was going to the bathroom, which was just like, you know, one side of me was like, Oh, it's probably hemorrhoids. No big deal. But at the same time, like you type that into to some symptoms onto the, the on, on WebMD or something. And your little the inner hypochondriac in your brain starts whispering, <laughs> like you're, you're going to die. And, and like, so I, I, I didn't know what it was. Um, so I, uh, I, I took that, as a kind of a sign to go to the doctor and, and try and get diagnosed officially, like figure out like, why am I anemic? Why am I pooping blood? Why am I going to the bathroom six to 10 times a day? Um, and I was uh, diagnosed with what's called ulcerative colitis, which is a form of uh, irritable bowel disease. Um, I had, I'd really only ever heard of it through like, you know, fundraisers at 5k events or something like a loosely associated with Crohn's disease and, um, I didn't know much about it, but reading, reading online, it's, it's a fairly common disease and, you know, the, the severity of it can range from very, very mild to and controllable to severe and life threatening. And at that point it was like almost unnoticeable. And the, the explanation for the anemia in the, the months and leading up to that point were, you know, you were probably losing a little bit of blood every time you went to the bathroom, but it was just, you couldn't see it because it was in, in the, the rest of your, your stool. Um, so at least at that point I, I felt like I had at least a little bit of closure as to like why, like what it was like, there is a reason you're not crazy. You're not just like all of a sudden losing all of this, like hard work that you have a distinct reason. What can you do to fix it? And, um, from that point on, it was, I did everything that I could possibly try. And I, I got to hand it to like all of the, the support staff at Cal, like the med, like the, the sports medicine team and the people who helped me get doctor's appointments. Cause I, I saw every top IBD specialist in the entire Bay area and within like a hundred mile radius of here. Like if you, if they were renowned for something that was even like loosely connected. Like I was seeing people that were like, I was starting to get into like some other like diverse forms of medicine and just like throwing hell Mary's trying to figure out what was going on with me, but they gave me priority treatment and, um, nothing, nothing took. It was just kind of a slow, gradual decline. And, um, you know, after that summer, putting in all those miles over that, over that summer up in altitude, I, I never ended up running a race that year. Um, cause within, I think it was eight months after my initial diagnosis, I had gotten, I'd gotten so ill that I had lost like 30 pounds. And, you know, we're talking a distant runner wow. who's already kind of skating that line of like, you're looking a little malnourished to now this person, you yeah. can see their ribs on their front and back and their spine is visible from top to bottom. Like cheeks are kind of caved in. Well, actually I, I was on a bunch of steroids, so my, I had a big round face and then the rest of my body just looked totally emaciated. Um, and I, I mean, I was, I got to the point where, you know, I was running, wasn't an option. Like if I like were trying to run was one, I was so anemic that I was having like my hemoglobin levels were in the low single digits. Like I was, and 
I, just for reference, like I think a, a, the average hemoglobin level is like 14, like 16 to 18 is like elite athlete, uh, 19 or 20 is like you're probably doing EPO. And if you're below 10, you're like definitely anemic. And I was like three at one point. So it's like almost like at that point, I, I, I needed three blood transfusions where I actually had to go to the hospital and they hooked me up with somebody else's blood and put it into my body because I didn't have enough in my own body because I was going to the bathroom 30 times a day and it was primarily blood. Um, so it was, yeah, that was really an awful, <laughs> awful time. Um, so I, I had to drop out of school cause I, I couldn't even walk to class. Like I, that wasn't, that wasn't happening. I wanted to like, I had gone from being like an elite athlete essentially to no longer able to navigate my way three blocks to get to school. Cause I was so anemic that I'd have to stop and take a break. And when I got to class, it was like, I couldn't focus on anything. So I was just in so much pain. Like just felt like somebody was inside of my, my stomach or my intestines, just like clawing from the inside. It was, it was really, really awful. Um, and, you know, after, after kind of suffering through a couple months where it was that bad and there would be periods of time where like for two to three weeks, all I would eat and drink was water and white rice. And that's it. And even that was like, just manage the pain symptoms. Um, it got to the point where I was like, okay, I, I have to try something else. So I, I set up scheduled a, a surgery to um, get my large intestine removed. And the, the large intestine is the, the organ that IV, that colitis affects. And so when, when somebody who has ulcerative colitis gets their, their large intestine removed, then that's a, essentially a quote unquote cure. Um, so that was kind of the idea, like, all right, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna live with whatever those consequences are because what I'm doing right now is not living. Um, and it ended up needing, like I had it scheduled for like a month after I, I went in and got that set up. But a couple of days later, I went into the emergency room and needed an emergency surgery to have it done right away because they were um, concerned that I had a, like a ruptured uh, colon. And if you get, you know, if you get, you can get sepsis from that and they can, they can kill you very quickly yeah, within that, a couple of hours. That, um, that killed my, my grandfather a couple of years ago. Did it? Yeah, it, yeah. His colon ruptured and it was, yeah. Man, I'm sorry to hear that. It's, 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 a, it's, it's an incredibly um, painful experience because, like, it, it's crazy how many nerve endings you have in there. Um, but oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, you know, I, I had the surgery, and the first few months were rough. Man, I, I had like a bunch of infections, and just by the skin of my teeth, I got away with keeping my spleen and pancreas. It was I was minutes away from the doctor, like saying we need to take out your spleen and your pancreas and if that had happened there's no chance i would be running i would be i'd be living a very different life but you know i i had to i lived on antibiotics for almost a month where there was like a, a, a line that a permanent iv in my arm and spent months in the hospital rooms and yeah it was a whole ordeal um but you know after after i got rid of the infections post-surgery and um you know, I'm, the result of having, having that surgery is that I, I now have an ostomy bag. Um, and you know, an ostomy is essentially, it's a place to go to the bathroom because they, they re, they resection your small intestine, um, to come out of your like abdomen. So there's like a literal part of my intestine coming out of my abdomen 
that empties the like fecal matter into a bag, which is just like absolutely mind boggling that they figured out how to do that in the first place. Um, but it's, a, for me, it, it was a cure for an incredible amount of pain and it allowed me to kind of get my life back after that. So it was, uh, once I got with all the infections under control, it was just a matter of kind of learning how to, to live life with this medical appliance and, um, kind of readjusting and, and going from there. So I, I re-enrolled it at UC Berkeley cause I still needed to finish my degree. I had no idea what running would be like. I had, I had just started dipping my toes back in, um, uh, what is that? Probably it would have been two years after my last race. Um, how was that conversation with your doctor saying, Hey, can I run again? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, and that, of course that's, that's what I asked. Like that was, that was priority number. It kept me going, man. I I wanted to run again so badly because I hadn't run for years and it was like, you know, I, I just got done talking to you guys how I started this sport when I was seven years old. Like it's a part of me. So like yeah. being away from it was like, it was brutal. I, I hated it. And it was, it was tough. Like I, I, I know that a lot of runners that just have like an injury deal with like depressive episodes because they've just become, we become so dependent on this like outlet that we have. And when that gets taken away, it can be, it can be rough. Oh, that's um, brutal. Yeah. Yeah. So I, when I, when I did get the okay to start running again, it was like out of shape is an understatement. You know, you might get injured and come back and like, Oh man, I'm out of shape. Like, no, the, the level it's, it, it's kind of funny that I've got, I had that perspective because it was like the last time I had run, I was at the top of the game essentially. And now I was running where it was like, if I broke eight minutes in a mile on my three mile run at any point, that was a huge success. So, um, yeah, it was it kind of brought a whole new perspective to it. And, um, I, uh, eventually re-enrolled in school and I still had eligibility. They, they got me a, a medical red shirt season back. So I was able to continue to compete and, That's good. um, yeah, I, I, I didn't break any crazy records or anything, but I, I did, uh, I won the big meet again in the steeplechase. So that was, that was a highlight <laughs> moment for that season. Uh, <laughs> Well, there goes my joke. I was going to say we're done steeplechasing, I think. Because no, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to, like, one, prove to to other people, but also, like, prove to myself, like, that's, it's not going to, I don't want this to stop me. I want to, I want to be able to continue living the life that I want to live. So I, I, you know, I went all in on it again. And I was like, hey, now you've just got this, like, new perspective on, on what running is. And that the, the level of appreciation that I have for, the sport and my ability to just get out the door and go for a normal run has like intensified by like tenfold. Um, cause it, it was primarily a competitive ende- endeavor for me before. And it, I'm still a very competitive person. Um, but generally speaking, like the, I, I don't need that as much anymore as a reason to get out the door. Cause I just think back to like what it was like to not have it. And I'm like, you know, like go, go and, enjoy this amazing ability that you've gotten you've put so much time and effort into so yeah chris if i ever complain about running again please just (laughs) or or hit me or something because like (laughs) damn like i respect everything about that story it's crazy to think about like like 
I, I wouldn't know what to do. You know what I mean? I feel like I would be so lost. And like, I feel like I'm, I'm sure that at some points you were right. And like, it's just like, like, what did you tell yourself to keep going? Was it just like, it has to get better or like what, what kept you motivated? Uh, man, that's a, I mean, it's a good question. Like, cause I, tr- I try and be real candid about what my experience was like, because I think there's just a lot of people that are in that, that make, they're not competitive runners necessarily, oh, yeah. but like, you know, everyone's got their thing that they lose because of the, that type of situation. And I struggled tremendously, like psychologically, it took me years to kind of come to terms with everything that had happened. And during that moment, it was the, I, I definitely struggled with depression and it was, it was a tough time. Um, if I could go back and just like relive that moment and with, with more knowledge now, I would have, I would have gotten psychological help during that, that period. Cause I just, I suffered and, you know, I would, in my mind, I'm like, no, you're healthy. You just have to just grit your teeth. And it's like, it, you know, you've got that distance runner mindset, just grind through it. And like, if you keep your head down, eventually it'll go away. You can outlast this thing. And that just, it wasn't the case. It just got worse and worse. And, um, but yeah, I mean, afterwards there's, it's not to say that I haven't had struggles since then, but I always just try and frame it in, in perspective. Cause like when I compare a bad day now to a bad day, then it's just like, this is, this, it's not, this is not a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, mental health is definitely one of those things where, like, if you get in your own head, it starts to, like, spiral. So, like, I get that. It's, it's definitely, um, again, it's, it's encouraging to hear. Um, not that I'm, you know, encouraged by, by you know, the bad parts of your story, but it's just nice to, to hear that, like, you know, it did have a happy ending and you're running 230 marathons or sub-230 marathons, I should say. I don't want to... You've ruined the lead. The like you've ruined the lead. Larry, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're, you know, but I'm just saying, like... <laughs> also, Chris, I want to point out, by the way, that Colin's been on, like, a whatever minute. I'm not going to... I don't care however many minutes he went on, Colin, conversation there. And you call him out for a tangent. Because you called me out the other day and I talked for maybe a minute and a half. So, like, I'm a little bit disappointed in that. I get that he's our guest, but, like, I'm so upset with him. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's... <laughs> First of all, fuck you, Larry, because we have to add one of these for these every podcast. Second of all, uh, no, it really it's interesting to see that like to have those those moments where it put things it puts things in perspective. Um, I'd say, um, and, and Colin, I don't know if you knew this, but like my freshman year of college, I got hit by a drunk driver, uh, and then that ended my season there. And in my junior year, I fractured my foot and everything like that. But it's interesting, like how that kind of puts things in perspective and, and really like from going into that obsessive competitive mindset of just like, we're going, we're going, we're going to like, all right, this is just being able to get out there. is like a blessing in itself at this point. Yeah. And I mean, of course you're running that balance between like, I want to be competitive, but I also just want to be able to like soak in, the moment and appreciate what I can do. So you, you don't want to lose that edge that like that, that edge that pushes you forward that, you know, you might need to get to the next level. But I think that there's, um, a lot to be gained from being dragged through the mud a little bit, you know, like whether it's like getting hit in an accident or, and like getting an injury that takes you out for a long period of time or, um, getting sick or something, something that happens. Um, I think that I probably could have dialed back the intensity and still gotten what I needed from it. But it, I, at the same time, like, I, I just think that that perspective 
allows you to grow both as a runner and just as a person in general. So like when I, when I conceptualize the way that I like what running is to me, it, 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 I relate it to every aspect of my life. Like that I take all of these metaphors and comparisons about like what are the lessons I've learned through running and then just make, make equivalencies in my day to day life that kind of help me frame and, and approach problems that are challenging. And, um, in order to like have that, that growth, you kind of need that, that challenge. Um, so it, it's as much as it was a really awful thing that happened. Um, it's, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't take it back necessarily. Like if there was a button to, to do that. It's, it's, it's funny. I'd, I'd probably say the same thing for myself for, for that, for that incident. Uh, like it, it, it makes, makes things, while, while it does put a kind of a hamper on a lot of things that maybe we were all chasing, it's still like, I think at the end of the day, it's like, we wouldn't be in the places we were had things like that not happened. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I mean, I, I heard a lot from you. I mean, I think I, we, but I didn't start seeing about you running again, really like going to the roads until recently. When did this happen? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I really tried hard after graduating to make running work. I, I still wanted to be competitive and I felt like I kind of had a, had an angle where, you know, maybe I wasn't going to be an Olympian necessarily, but I've, I've got this, I, I was, I'm still fast enough where I felt like I was competitive at a high enough level that I might be able to procure some kind of sponsorship or something. Um, and taking the approach of like my demographic, the people that are kind of following my story that are people who are like me that, that have ulcerative colitis or have an ostomy for, for any number of reasons that that can happen. Um, but I just kept getting hurt doing on the track, like that speed work, just all of those years. And I think also like having major abdominal surgery, like when you get your, your abdominal wall cut into it just it, it, my my form is kind of off and the the pure like power element that goes into running fast and, and turning left all the time it just uh it kind of it built up and i i kept getting injured so it just it never never came around i had some like some glimpses and some moments here and there but just never never put anything together i think my best performance outside of the, this last year was a 10 K that I ran in kind of a nowhere 10 K. Um, and I ran like 30, 10 in the 10 K, which was a, you know, that's a, that was a really good time for me, but it was all alone, no competition. And then I got hurt quickly thereafter. Yeah. So it was frustrating, but that, that kind of changed my, I, after four years of banging my head against the wall, essentially, I was like, okay, I need to, I need to let this go. I need something else to do. Cause it was just so disappointing to have that happen over and over that I was starting to resent running. And I, I just didn't want that to happen because it's just such an important part of my life. Um, so I, I kind of switched over to just running whenever and however far I felt like, and it was mainly on the trails and just kind of, I love being out in the, like in the forests that are around here and um, doing that. So I was kind of stacking up miles and, feeling fit and not doing any like organized workouts or anything. And then kind of 
decided that, you know what, I should, I should try a marathon one day. And, um, a couple years ago I, I moved to Tennessee and that was actually, um, part of, uh, after I graduated from school and what I was doing, um, like a, a passion that has developed as a kind of a, a, something that goes in, in tandem with, with my running has been trying to help people who have ostomies, like navigate what it's like to live life after that and get back to an active lifestyle. And I had the really serendipitous opportunity to, um, get involved with a company called stealth belt, um, which I'm now, I'm the vice president of stealth belt. And we, uh, we make, ostomy support belts, which are what I used to, to start running again when I was in college and then what I've used since then. Um, so it was a product that I loved and I moved to Tennessee where the company is based and lived there for a couple of years while, and helped kind of build it up because it was a, a small business when I got started. And it's, um, you know, it's been awesome the last few years seeing it grow and being a part of all of that. Um, but in the back of my mind, I've always still wanted to be competitive. And I felt like there was kind of still the reason for me to like, if I can get out there and, and do what I love and inspire people that are, that relate to my story, that there, there's a, it was enough of a motivating factor to keep that like competitive aspect of my running alive. And the, the logical step for me was to slow it down and to, to lengthen it out. So the marathon was kind of a natural progression and, I ran my, my first attempted marathon in 2017 at, at Boston. Um, I got, I had some, uh, some help getting into the, the events as a first time marathoner, just cause, uh, the, the race organizers kind of knew who I was and we had some mutual friends. So they were like, sure, we, we trust that you're not going to go out there and run four hours and 35 minutes or whatever. But, um, <laughs> So I, I went and did that and experienced what hitting the wall was like and bonking. And <laughs> it was, uh, uh, that was a very humbling experience. And I think I ran 250, maybe just under 248, somewhere in like in there, but came through the half in like 113. <laughs> <laughs> it was brutal. It was absolutely awful. Um, but I, you know, from there, I just was like, you know what, this, that was as much as like, that was about as bad as this could have gone. And I still loved it. So from that point I was hooked and now that's just like, that's all I want to do. I just, I want to go run marathons and I've only had the chance to run one more because of the, everything that's going on. Yeah. Um, I got, I had another injury, unfortunately, that kept me out in 2018 and then 2019, um, was able to kind of make a little bit of a, a comeback. I ran a 2:27 marathon in, in Edmonton up in Canada, um, which was awesome. I negative split by like four minutes through the half. Um, and I was, uh, now I've got Boston on the schedule, and uh, you and I are in the same boat, Chris, sharing <laughs> the, the, the postponed, having to wait until September, but um, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I hate this sport. Every time somebody mentions how fast they are, and every time somebody mentions, like you mentioned <laughs> earlier, a 30-minute 10K, and here I am getting excited about a 34-minute 8K, and I'm just like... Why do I do this? Why am I even trying? <laughs> it's all relative. It's yeah. Like beauty of it. It's like, yeah, there's that black and white time, but like your my 30 minute to your 34 minute is there's somebody out there that runs 26 minute. Yeah. You know, that like, it, it's it, just, it it's just the thought of somebody that like it, it, me, for example, right. You know, those people that can like break the land speed record and like one of those like really fast cars out in the desert or whatever. It's like, that's what I'm doing. Right. But then at the same time, you see somebody that can like fly at the speed of light 
And it's just like, <laughs> okay, like, <laughs> what's the point? <laughs> I get it though. It's all relevant. I mean, there's, right? there's all, there's all different, there's, there's all different times in the journey. And it's like, cause I mean, I ran, I only ran 452 at a high school on my end and it, it took me a long time. It took me a long time to actually be okay. And only 452. <laughs> you're not getting recruited no, by I you're not getting it. recruited by many colleges for running a 452 yeah. mile at all. <laughs> yeah. um, I, honestly, like where you're at now, I'm kind of shocked to hear that. I, <laughs> I would have, especially running club teams and stuff. I, I'm, I'm Mount Sacal, Mount Sacal. I ran 16 flat at Sacs. It was okay. It was, it was the only okay one that I ever ran, but it wasn't anything fast, fast at all. Yeah, I wish I would have been. No, but but it is encouraging to hear, especially like first time marathon, like one. Being able to run the Boston for your first time is freaking awesome. I'm super jealous. And that's that's incredible. And I have helped my story to make that happen. Let's just be clear. Yeah. <laughs> hey, look at this cool thing that happened to me that well not cool, but like yeah. this really interesting thing. You might get some press from this. Like yeah. let's make this happen. Like it, I, I I used the circumstances to make that happen. Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, I don't know if you've seen Captain America the Winter Soldier. I just recently watched it again for the second time, but at the beginning, yeah, quarantine, yeah. But uh, Captain America, he's running around the, the thing at the beginning, and he tells the person his time, and he's like, oh, really? You should be ashamed of yourself. So, like, that kind of reminds me of the 250 thing where you're like, only a 250. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, here I am. My first marathon was a 414.14. So, like, you know, but I, I just survived my way through that. It's not really anything that I've had to be working for that. So, yeah, um, well, all relative. Imagine where you'll be in two decades from now when you've run as much as I have at this point. Uh, that's what I'll be doing. So, yeah and then this point now at this point you're averaging like 740 730 for your like your 15 16 mile run so i mean you've gone a long way from october you're gonna kill it you 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 have the the lucky like so you where you hear some of the times that i run and you're like oh man that's that's awesome i wish i could run that fast it's not fair but there's a good there's a very real chance that I will never set another personal best at any distance in my life again. That's what everybody keeps telling me is that I, like, I, jobs I, that I, I myself right now and be like, all right, my job, I'm done. I'm quitting full time. I'm going to go join a train group, 10 man elite. Here I come baby. And, <laughs> and I, there's a good chance that I wouldn't physically be capable of doing it. Yeah. So, Hey, take Like you get to, like you get the, to ride that high. You show up to your line, run a marathon PR by, 20 or 30 minutes or something go run yeah. your half PR by five minutes but, and enjoy that. Yeah, my 5k PR the other day. I did a 2117 and that's, yeah, that's the best part. Yeah. <laughs> See, so it, like it's, it, it's it, incredible to be able to experience that because like, you're right. Like a lot of people, especially like Chris, like I'm sure that Chris can PR in certain aspects like the marathon and stuff like that. But like when you're talking about shaving seconds versus shaving minutes, Obviously, it's a completely different conversation. But this isn't the Larry podcast. We're talking about Colin, so let's go. Ahead and move on. I, like, I like talking about Larry. <laughs> but Colin, I've gone through that. Like, gone through years of just not PRing. So, like, those years, those early formative years of our running career, that's what made it this so much fun. And I think from like from a coaching standpoint, seeing other people go to that, dude, it's for like. I'd say the same thing. I probably won't PR ever in the, in the Steeple Chase again. I probably won't PR in the Mile again. But it's like seeing other people like look going through their own journey. It's so cool because it's like awesome. That's like 
I joined yeah, the marathon. You get, the, you get all the catharsis and the the happiness, but you don't get you don't really share any of the disappointment because you've got the context. <laughs> that doesn't matter. No, it's so I, I think we're a little a little much onto this. Uh, also, shouts out to uh, Taylor Dutch for doing the story from right after this happened and then doing it a couple years later. Because I looked at the article and I'm like, wait, she wrote the one on Flow Track and then she wrote the one on on Running. Oh, they're both Taylor Dutch. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so yeah, so she she wrote something about this saying that like, and I had no idea at all about about like colitis or or, or anything like that. Uh, that. It's you guys you like thirty percent less than than usual, like as far as like hydration and nutrition that way, right? So yeah. like in in the marathon, that is key. Any ultra distances or anything like that, it's key. Um, you, you you're running with a, a like basically you're running with a stack deck stacked against you compared to other people. Uh, how do you how do you like even just training, I mean, you're doing high, like high mileage. I like I assume we're higher mileage than most people in the world. Um, how are you able to able to handle that? Yeah, um, I mean, it's a if you've done your research. <laughs> um, the yeah, it's like for one, Taylor Dutt. Yeah, she's she's awesome. Um, she's obviously a really good friend of mine, teammate at Cal, and. Um, she had graduated by the time that happened for like when I was still in college making my, my first comeback, I guess. And, um, we did that flow track video, which, uh, ended up kind of being a launching pad for me to, to get into the career that I'm in now. So, um, that to last year, at the end of the year, do that runner's world follow-up where she's also writing it was just really, really cool. Um, but the, is when it comes to like hydration, I had to, that was one of the things that I knew going into the surgery was going to be a challenge. And I just learned as much as I possibly could about how your body works and how to like stay on top of that. Cause I knew it was going to be a problem. Um, and what I found particularly with the large intestine is the, the large intestine, there's a, there's actually a connection point between the large intestine and the small intestine. Um, I think it's the duodenum. Somebody will correct me and they'll say like, how do you not know this or whatever? If there's a point between the small intestine and the large intestine that connect, and that's where a lot of the hydration of your fluids comes from, particularly from um, like food that has a high density of water value in it. So vegetables and fruits, for instance, you could technically eat only fruit throughout the day and not need to drink water because you get so much of your liquid from the actual like fiber itself that you could stay hydrated that way through that mechanism. But when you've got what I have or, or when you don't have what I don't have is the, the large intestine, you're, you're losing about 30% of your ability, your water, your body's ability to absorb, absorb liquids effectively. Um, and what that means for me is that I have to be diligent leading up to big events, especially long ones. So like if I'm going to run a long run and I know that I'm going to do that a few days from now, I need to be hydrating a week in advance knowing that that's coming up. So it's pretty much a full-time job. Like I've got water, like a water bottle and this thing does not leave my side and it's always filled. And I, I've got a very specific amount of like, um, like electrolytes, like sodium, potassium, magnesium that I drink each day. And that is in my supplement supplement routine. Um, 
And that's just to make sure that I'm getting the right amount of water. And the, the analogy that I like to use, and this is actually something I, I go, I speak at, at medical events for, for nurses. And I talk about this topic actually in depth. And one of the things that I say is that the body, when it comes to hydration is best like analogized by uh, like a battery. So if you've ever had like your, your phone and you, you notice that it's down at like one or 2%, um, and you need to, to plug it in you plug it in, you get that first 15 or 20% battery life back really quickly, like 15 minutes and you're going to get 10 to 15% of your battery life. But as you get closer and closer to hundred percent full, um, it takes longer and longer for that to happen. And when it comes to hydrating your body, it's very much the same. If you're really dehydrated and you put any water in there, your body's going to be desperate for it. And it's, that's priority number one. And it's, there's also just more space in between the cells for that liquid to be stored. So it's easier for it to disperse around your body and for you to become more hydrated as you get closer. And, and that's kind of the range that I have to deal with because when you, when you step on the line for a marathon, you want that battery life to be as close to hundred percent as possible. And if you're down at 90%, 20 miles into the race, you're going to, you're going to feel it. And where somebody who doesn't have that disadvantage will have the slight advantage of during the race, being able to absorb more, more effectively and bridge that gap a little bit better. So what I do is I just, I I'm in advance. It's the main focus. And during the race, I can't miss those stops. It's a, it's an essential thing for me. So if I need to, I'll slow down significantly to make sure I get in what I need to get in. Um, and also just pick a cold race. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm going to avoid the heat. <laughs> so, I mean, you've, so 227 is a breakthrough, but 67 is even more of a breakthrough at that point. Cause a 67 is like, I, like I have friends that have run 67. Like Evan Schwartz runs 68 or 67 and he ran 219 or like under 219 made the trials um, and I've had a couple of people that have run 67 have done the same. I mean, at that point, is that something you're looking for for the next, for the next, uh, for 24? Yeah. I mean, of, of course, if I'm, if I'm healthy and I, I don't expect that I'm going to run much less cause I, at this, I'm running at a level now that is enjoyable to me where I would do, I, I am doing it right mm-hmm. now during this quarantine where I, I don't have a race necessarily, but I just, yeah. I like the process. Um, so yeah, running, I ran that, that 67, I think it was 67, 15, uh, half a couple, couple months ago. Um, that was a big, that was a big milestone. It's the, like one of the first true personal bests I've had since having surgery, like the, the marathon, of course, 227. So it's a great time. And that would be a considered a personal best, but I'd never, never really run a marathon before I had surgery, but I have, I have half marathons before surgery to compare against and, you know, that I was in uncharted waters there. So that was, that was really awesome. Um, and you know, it, there's, it's, it's easy to make those comparisons. If you run this time, then you should run this other time and this other distance. But, um, my goal for 2020 is, and I guess, or was, and still is to break two hours and 20 minutes. I just thought it was kind of a, a fun, a fun little, thing that kind of matched up sub 220 in 2020 mm-hmm. um and I, I think that's only realistic um it, it'll be hard and i'll have to work hard and 
I, I'll, I have less time and less opportunity to do it now um, based on everything that's going on. But yeah, I think that, that it'll, it, it could happen. Um, but priority number one is still just, you know, in, enjoy it and, and, and have fun with, uh, with the process of running and, you know, don't lose that, yeah. that excitability. <laughs> and that, so you're continuing to run and you're enjoying, like, it's, I think like I can see it on my end, like I, it's, I'm smiling throughout the time. It's like, I remember the, the journey of like, how does it become a fun, like fun endeavor again after running competitively or, or like being so obsessed with it. Like how, like, especially in times like this, when we, we were training for a pretty big race and like we're both training for a pretty big breakthrough at Boston. Um, and it's probably both of us have unfinished business at Boston at this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> How, how do you how do you keep yourself motivated? Uh, I mean, I, I've definitely backed off a little bit. I mean, I'm not going out for 10-mile tempos and not doing any of that. But I think it still kind of just ties back to that same thing that, you know, I, I remember where I was and what it was like to not have running available to me. And it just it, – it's not – it's not that tough for me to get started on at least an easy run um, to go and bang out a hard interval session or something like that. That would be another story, but um, just the timing of it, that's not a, that's not a big concern of mine right now. So uh, I'm just, you know, running my 70 mile weeks and every now and then I'll go hunting for some Strava KOMs or something. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, you try and make up like fun little games to play with yourself and, um, just try and keep it interesting. But, you know, I like running to me is such a meditative endeavor. Like I can go on a run in a route that I've done a thousand times. And I just like, I'm barely paying attention to my surroundings. Cause I'm just in my head thinking about whatever my brain decides is like, it, it's like unstructured thinking and, or even like lack or like absence of thinking that just yeah. kind of puts you at ease. So I, I don't know. I, my, a good friend of mine had said this a while back and, I, I agree with it and it, it's like running while you're running it feels like home and it's I, I think it feels that way because it's it takes you out of like that it, it, ta- it puts you in the present right because we're, we're so like tied up in where we're going all these goals the responsibilities that we have in life and like all these things and you're you're always thinking either about something that happened to you in the past or something that you need to do in the future and but while you're running like you're those things kind of fade behind the more distinct reality of like my lungs are kind of burning i need to keep my breathing under control my arms are getting tense i need to relax my legs are feeling heavy i need to try and loosen them up and and like you're so much more in tune with like the, the physical sensations than you typically are throughout the day that I think it just like, um, it's a, it's a great reset. Um, so, you know, I, I, I focus as much as I can on those aspects of it and treat it as like a, it's a, it's an evolving thing, like depending on the time of year and what I'm doing, like that's my motivations for, for doing it change. Yeah. I've never accurately been able to describe why running is such a dopamine rush for me. Like, and I think that that's it. It's just like, it's like nine times out of 10, right? Like I'm in my own head. Right. And it's one of those things where like, I'm always thinking like constantly about future past, like what's happening. What did happen? Why am I sad? What's happening? And it's like, when I'm running, it's like, I'm there, I'm running. The 
music that I'm listening to is great, but like I don't really care about that. It's just like I'm yeah. I'm, do, I'm doing the thing. And like especially like long runs, like you have that time to just reflect on the run, but you don't have time to reflect on your life. Like you just have time to just reflect. And like, yeah, it puts you in the present. I, I like that. That's a I like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a type of like forced meditation in a way. Because like when yeah. you think about like what what is meditation? It's like you're focusing on your breathing, you're focusing on your sensations, you're focusing on the sounds that you're hearing rather than the thoughts that are going through your head and running when you're breathing hard and like you're in that moment, you're forced to think about those things if you're going to continue doing it at that intensity. So it, yeah. like a, it's a practice in that way. So it, yeah, it's a, that, that's the, my, that, that's my, uh, I, can you guys tell I went to Berkeley? <laughs> <laughs> that's well, a good philosophy. I, I very much like that. Go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. So I, I got a, a quick question just to, to cap us off. And, um, if you could tell for anyone that's gone through a long period of um, either injury or even just a complete setback where they're struggling to get back to it, um, regardless of the level, what would you tell them is like just from your, what would be your advice to them from your story or from your, your perspective? Yeah. It's um, a good question. I think that really it like, the one of the most important things that I've learned and that I think other people could could also learn through those types of like challenging situations that they find themselves in um, is to really practice both patience and gratitude for the process. So like you need to be patient with yourself and realize that this this sport and most things worth pursuing are going to take more time than you think they're going to and be okay with that. Um, and then gratitude for being able to do it at all and like having that context. And I mean, not everyone's going to have a situation where they're like in a life or death moment or anything like that. But it's also just kind of like, this is a, this shouldn't be a chore like the reason that there's so many people who love this sport and that are so passionate about it and that I would consider myself one of them is because this is, it's not, it's not something that is a, a chore or it's work. I'm not out there because I, it's, it's definitively good for me to go for a, a run. I'm out there because there's an element of it that's deeply, deeply satisfying and enjoyable for me. And I, I want to be really aware of what those are and grateful for it so that when I step out the door on days where even I don't feel so well, I can still tap into that and appreciate it for what it is. That's, that's oh, awesome. I, I also have a question for you as well, Chris, unless you have another one. No, uh, go ahead. No, uh, yeah, don't. One, don't. one of our listeners don't, asked us, oh, don't. He asked us how many shirts you have, and we're curious because this is a question that a lot of podcasters uh, Every a lot of podcast are gets asked this question, and we're not going to continue shirts. to do it. How many, yeah, how many shirts do you have? Like, what, market? what kind of shirt? Any shirts? Like, long sleeve, long sleeve. Oh, I have no idea. So many. Wait, if, if you were to ballpark it, number. Because Chris usually says like three, at least thirty to forty. All right, that seems low. 
I'm not but like that's a bad thing. I'm, just, like, like, I'm wearing one right now. Like every 5K I've ever run on the weekend, I have an entire drawer full yeah, of like, Yeah. I, I saw uh, you smiling in the background. I was like, you're going to ask this question, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I come on. We said it at the very beginning, Chris. Die hard. Yeah. Um, that's a hard, hard hitter. But I, I, I do, this is, I really enjoyed this. This was fantastic. Um, yeah. Yeah. We loved having you on. Um, and I think for a lot of people, I think this is, the journey of all of it, I think is really where the story lies. And 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 the float from going from super competitive, like mindset to like just enjoying it has been really interesting to see too. And I think it's a, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard break to have. And I've, I've been in that, that just like that one one line mindset and it's it's really i I think it really provides a a great perspective there um but yeah i I really thanks thanks for coming on um where can they follow your where can they follow you uh you have any social medias that you want to plug or even any just anything anything that you're involved with yeah um well i mean first off yeah thanks for having me uh it's been awesome it's cool to be able to do like a running related podcast i i do some other stuff but it's usually more medical focused so it was kind of fun to be able to geek out about this other um, (laughs) like part of my life um but yeah if you if you're interested in following along um i'm somewhat active on my facebook and instagram and i i talk about um kind of my my running journey as it relates to my my position at stealth belt and kind of those two things are intertwined in my life now um, so, uh, just my full name is Colin Jarvis. And if you type it in on Facebook or Instagram, I sh- should be the, the first one, probably some picture of somebody running. It's probably your dude. I've got a Strava account. I'm, uh, I, 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 I'm embarrassed to say how much I care about my Strava, <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, if you, uh, if you know anybody who has IBD or particularly an ostomy and they're interested in running or, um, even just having any questions, um, feel free to reach out to me. I talk to people every single day about, yeah, anybody who has, anybody who has IBD or an ostomy and and wants to be able to talk about the issues that they're having or trying to get back into running. It's a passion for me to, to help people. So feel free to reach out. I love, I love chatting with people. So yeah. And that is Colin with two L's because you put in one L there's, there's different, there's different people that are going to come up. Um, Larry, where can they find you? I don't know. Somewhere, I'm sure. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Colin. Oh, where, where do you look? What are you asking? Oh, he was asking me where they can find me on Instagram and social media and all that stuff. Where can they find you, Larry? Uh, I guess Instagram, yeah. You can find me at uh, Fably, F as in Frank, A D E L E Y underscore on Instagram. Twitter, you can find me. Uh, I play video games sometimes. This is a podcast that we did not mention a certain game that I won't mention. I'm going to go ahead and, and go without for Thank this you. part because I feel like this is this is one of those episodes that doesn't need it. Um, and uh, as well, you can find my license plate, which is also my last name. If you do find it, send me words of encouragement. Please don't throw rocks at me because I had somebody recently throw rocks at me and they broke my window and I had to pay for it. No, that's, that's not actually <laughs> <Yeah>. true. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Chris, where can they find you, buddy? Um, beers and miles. Um, that's my, my running related Instagram, uh, beers and Um, I got a new, an article up recently. I'll get another one up pretty soon. Um, and then we're going to have a, what was that? 
I said, yeah, it's going to be another four weeks. Yeah, it's going to be another <laughs> four weeks. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about overtraining. That's going to be the next one that I'm going to have up. Oh, yeah. Um, Ooh, fun. Yeah, I found, uh, I found all of my old... Uh, Found all of my old blogs about the workouts that I was doing, and I was doing like uh, I think I was doing like uh, K repeats in under three minutes, um, like two fifty fives, and I was doing cross country. And I'm not running two fifty five Ks during cross country, <laughs> and so I end up blowing up and ended up ruining my entire season. So I actually wrote down everything I was doing. I wouldn't run a run without like breaking sub six at least one time. And I just like, I never gave myself any time. I think I only ran throughout my college career up until like probably grad school. I think I probably only went over seven minutes, seven thirties, maybe 10 times. So um, yeah, it's over training for somebody that wasn't very good in college. And it's, uh, I, I think that's a lot of things that people that are getting into running should know about just slowing down. But sorry if you guys just watched me throw a pillows because I was throwing it at my cat. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you can follow the podcast on um, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Anchor. Uh, if you guys enjoyed the podcast, leave us a review. Uh, share the podcast around. Um, yeah, we really appreciate it. Thank you guys for being on, and uh, thank you guys for listening. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thanks, guys. <laughs>